me, you, and the driver, we gotta get this photo together. We gotta get this selfie. Oh, open it. You got a bag? A bag for fucking what? We fucking grocery shopping or something? We doubling up on these bags? I was like, wow, women are incredible. I've been out here every single weekend since I've been doing this, picking up people who have had amazing nights. Fuck off, mum! I'm sleeping. I'm staying here. Leave me alone. I mean, I've always said this anyway that. This thing has killed me, but I can see I've aged. I look at my beard, mad grey hairs. It is mad. Welcome to or welcome back to the Book For My Podcast. Today I have a special guest, an author, a teacher and a public speaker. He goes by the name of Emeka. Again, as with previous episodes, Emeka hasn't read my book, so it's worth saying my views are independent of him. To be positive, and I will be positive, like many, I'm going to say Emeka's out here doing God's work. So before... <laughs> Um, we start and get into conversation. If you can just tell the people and give maybe foundation and context to the conversation we're going to have as to who you are, what you do, and what you've done. Okay. Um, I've I've always been involved in working with young people um, right since I was 18. Um, started off as a football coach um, when I got injured from playing football myself. Um, going to university, then eventually sort of coming back to become a youth worker full-time and doing that for about eight years, being involved in various projects um, in the UK, in Germany, in America, just figuring out ways to try and give young people an opportunity to to reach their potential and to find their purpose. Um, So that might involve prevention work, so dealing with younger people who are not involved in any type of criminality yet, or intervention work who are young people who are already in too deep and trying to find a way out for them. And then I sort of transitioned from that youth work setting to becoming a teacher, becoming a lecturer, because what I found was there was a lot of young people who I had at the youth club that had bad experiences within education. And when I was doing my research, I realized that the education system is flawed and then we needed more young men to lead the classrooms who can obviously identify with some of the current issues that young people are dealing with as well so approach discipline approach behavior management in a whole different way um and so that's what i've sort of done in my professional career and in the middle of all of that i've been able to write um three books Uh, one was about my work during youth work and then my other two subsequent books have been sort of fictional work but based around some of the issues that i've had to deal with um, in my professional career as well so yeah that's just a little snippet about myself Cool, cool, cool. So, like, I felt it was really, really, so I thought it was really, really important to have you on this podcast for many different reasons. A, obviously, because you're very articulate and I think you've got a story, you've got a huge story. So, just apart from, obviously, the conversation we're going to have today, I think there's so much or so many other different type of conversation we can actually have. But I felt it was important to have you again, obviously, on the podcast because you, like many different other people, have unique journeys in actually being a driver. So, I felt it was important to get your story on the platform and today obviously i'm going to i'm going to ask questions but because obviously we haven't actually discussed necessarily what my book is about and we haven't really probably gone into an in-depth conversation by all means at any stage during me asking questions ask me a question so i'm happy to even tell you what my book is about etc etc so by all means just jump in at any point um but to start off with obviously because today is the 7th of july and this is probably going to come out some point in the autumn um, this weekend or the weekend just gone, we've had what was dubbed Super Saturday. I just wanted to find out, see what your thoughts were on 
a super saturday but probably the bigger picture in that a lot of a number of uber drivers well i'm going to say drivers in general because i don't want to call them uber drivers a lot of drivers who are working under those rideshare apps business would have probably picked up so i just want to get your context as to your thoughts on that but obviously how things were beforehand as to things being a little bit slow with covid19 um i guess in regards to i guess when we're talking about um sort of being a being a driver and um because i haven't actually i think sort of taken it a step back um i haven't actually been a driver for about about seven eight months now okay cool um but i obviously still have friends that are obviously still driving and so on and so forth but what i found out is during the quiet periods um they've had to do other jobs um so i know my friend he started working at um warehouses for instance royal mail just anything to just obviously to um to help with putting the money in the bank account um situation because he was telling me that it was it was very very slow so then looking at how many people are i guess walking away from trying to be a um being a driver mainly because of some of the taxes that are now being employed for instance um what is it um the congestion charge is now seven days a week yep. and it's now been increased to, to 15 pounds and it's till 10 p.m so all of these things sort of factor into the numbers when you do the numbers it's like there's so much going out before you've even earned anything straight away but in regards to super saturday i guess it's more of trying to kickstart the economy trying to get people shopping trying to get people buying and obviously why people are doing that they need to get around so ultimately sort of that footfall will also benefit the drivers as well and obviously you, you need it to be extremely busy to offset the costs of all the outgoings your private hire insurance um all the other taxes if you're working in central london that you need to pay as well so yeah it's um i guess it's important to get things back to normality um soon as possible but again we're all under the advice of the government when it comes to how quickly they're doing that based on the covid19 situation and whether the scientific evidence allows it to be justified or not that's that's i guess above our pay grade so we just follow the rules cool and why did you become a driver and i know you've kind of gone into it very briefly as to what you're currently doing now but what were you doing beforehand so uh, there's been two periods where i've quit my job to to chase my dream of being a writer and a, a major public speaker the first time i wasn't prepared um this is 2013 i had an idea uh, my first book was uh, it's been released for about 18 months i was getting a lot of speaking gigs and i felt like okay i could take the punch and i was successful for about three months until money ran dry and until i wasn't getting booked as much and so i had to go back into education and i got another job as a teacher and so i've now written my second book and then I've, i'm on my way to writing my third book at this time and i said to myself okay i, I want to continue to push this dream but this time i need a plan um and that plan involved having a safety net and that safety net was was being an uber driver so it's like i'm in control of when i work i'm in control of all of these aspects so if i have a talk on a tuesday afternoon i don't have to turn that off because teaching term time i would i wouldn't have the capacity to to take that speaking opportunity and obviously talk about my work and about my books so uber provided the opportunity to to be flexible and so i signed up and um it took very long for my for my license to come because the stage 4 of my dbs 
took long. It took about four or five months for some reason. And so that delayed my process. But the inspiration of the idea was to have Uber as a safety net, to be able to work, be able to pay the mortgage and all the key essentials, but um, allow me to write more, allow me to be able to take speaking to the point where I can then move um, my writing and my speaking into into a full-time, full-time thing. So Uber was that tool um, that I needed. Cool. I get the impression we probably started roughly around the same sort of time. So like given today's the 7th of July, when did you begin being a driver? Um, I, I applied um, December 2015 and then everything cleared. Summer 2016 is when I actually started. So I quit my job that summer and yeah, I started driving from that point on. Cool. I think you started maybe a year before myself, actually. Okay, mm. so that's interesting. Okay, you, you've said a, a number of things to which um, we will expand on. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll expand on in just a moment. You spoke like, in, previous, in a previous interview to which we had, which I'd advise everyone to go li- actually listen to, and I'll drop the link in the bio um, of this interview. You spoke of obviously wanting to retire your mum, obviously, in a previous interview. There yeah. are many individuals who are working as drivers to support their children by way of paying university fees, etc., sending, mo- sending money back home, and obviously paying bills like most of us most of us do but i find maybe with those who are drivers um that come it seems to be a bit more commonplace what would you say like in respect to that what are the positive and, ne- and negative aspects of being a driver are um i think the positive for me was having conversations with so many different people from all walks of life um and because her- i'm a storyteller so it's i'm always interested i can read people very well so there are people that would get in a car and you know not to disturb them, you be polite, you greet them, and you kind of go with their energy. So if they want to talk, I'm more than happy to have a conversation. And if people want to be left alone, I can, I can sense that. Um, but the ones that I had conversations with, um, it was very enlightening. I took a lot of inspiration, some from people's stories. Uh, um, and just being able to meet people that I wouldn't normally encounter in my normal everyday circle. And so those conversations... And those stories are things that I've held on to that I can go back to and sort of draw, um, especially if I'm writing or if I'm speaking and using it as a motivational tool um, in terms of building up my sort of my writing and some of the things that I speak about. So definitely the interaction with some of the customers is definitely a highlight point of, um, of being an Uber driver. And I mean, do you want to give an example of like the type of conversations that you would have? Because for me, for someone who, I mean, I've said this, I've said this a number of times. So whether it's on the fully booked platform, or whether it's currently with the one or two of the episodes to which I've recorded, I took like so in my experience actually backpacking, in meeting so many people over a short period of time and getting to know someone very very quickly, mm-hmm. I used that concept, and I kind of transferred it into obviously when I was a driver. In that, okay. You meet so many people over a period of a day or a period of a month that I found it quite exciting to sit down and have conversation with people and almost, I don't want to say pick their brain because it would depend on, on, the, on the topic and the subject, but yeah, just having a conversation for me was quite enlightening. So for the first 18 months to two years, for me, yeah, I want to say 18 months and even longer than that, for me, it was a really enjoyable experience. It only became once, and I'll lean this probably more into the negative aspects of being a driver, once it became very tiring by way of demanding um, being out on the road all day or potentially not making as much money as you would have liked to, that negativity kind of seeped into my, into my psyche and into the job, although it was difficult anyway. 
So, like, what type of conversations did you find yourself in? Um, so, it, like you said, it just depends on the person. So, for instance, um, I had conversations with, with, for instance, doctors um, in terms of their path and their career path. And then, obviously, when you're talking, uh, people can understand and appreciate that, okay, you might have an interesting story yourself because a lot of people like to ask you, oh, how come, what's your story? Because so many people that they might have met um, are driving for different reasons. So they've met people that have been engineers who, for whatever reason, are obviously driving. And so you kind of get a lot of people that want to know about your story as well. So when I start sort of telling them that I'm a teacher and I'm a writer as well, and so the conversations will span about that. And so it's, it's like, you know, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> You now have people who are feeling inspired by my story and vice versa. And then one of the particular conversations that I remember was um, a CEO from, from this company. Um, it, was in, it was in Waterloo somewhere. And it was, it was late at night. And it's like what you were saying. It's like you've been out all day. I've been out 12 hours. And I was like, oh, just one more job. And I was hoping it would be a job that was just literally around the corner. And I was in Waterloo. And then... It was all the way in, where was it? It's Isha, somewhere south, past Kingston, on the A3, just far. And I'm already tired. <laughs> you know when you're already tired, your eyes are burning. Yeah. And, and I said to him, I was, I was honest with him. I was like, listen, to be honest, like I've been out all day and I can take you to this particular place as close as possible because no, there was no more trains or anything like that. And then he goes, I can appreciate anywhere you take me. Um, to be honest, the closest home I get, the better it is. And I'm like, fair enough. So I was like, okay, I can take you here because then from here I can sort of just cut, cut through and jump on the motorway and go back home. And I got there, I got to the station and I dropped him off. And it was like a scene from a, from a film. It was literally deserted. No trains, no cabs, no nothing, no one there. And <laughs> he was like, mate, are you really going to leave me here? And I'm like, we agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we agreed, and I'm like, I'm so tired. And to be honest with you, part of the safety thing is, um, I don't want to put you in any more danger because, like, driving up a straight road um, can can be a lot in terms of, like, it, for me personally, I feel like driving tired can be worse than alcohol because <laughs> you can just fall asleep, and then that's that. And he got out of the car. He goes, fair enough. And then I started driving off, and. He got back. Um, I, I looked through my rearview mirror. It was literally this whole film was like a Hollywood film. It's like somebody was directing it, and I could see him just standing there trying to make calls. And I was like, oh, "Come on, can't leave this guy here." So I went back in the car. Bearing in mind, up until we got to the station, we didn't really have a conversation. He just sat in the car, and then I, I went double back round. I picked him up again. I'm like, "Listen, um, you just need to keep me company. Keep talking. I'll open up the windows so I'm not tired, and I'll just take you. I'll take you. I'll take you home." And he appreciated that. And then we started talking and he told me about his career. He's a CEO. And, and that was the period I was actually thinking about a career change into um, project management. Because I felt like as much as I enjoy being on the front line in education, I felt like um, financially what we spoke about in terms of trying to retire my mom and earning enough money to be able to help others. And when I say help others, I've helped so many people outside of my family but now to be able to help people in my family my mom family members in Nigeria and that obviously requires having funds and I looking at a career that I can have transferable skills into 
having managed so many different projects in youth work, I thought, okay, project management would be key. I've already done a course. And so he was the CEO of this company and he was looking for new project managers. And then it was like, he invited me over um, and he was very thankful that I even came back to pick him up, invited me to the company. And I was able to sort of get some mentoring um, in regards to sort of the project management world and so on and so forth. So for me, that was something very interesting and I'll never forget that particular story about how a conversation can open specific doors even as an Uber driver. Now nah, that's sick. I, I like that. I mean, I've had very, very similar experiences. So like, I, I, I mean, what I'm, I know that I find it very frustrating, but obviously because I'll, I've been a driver for, I'm going to say three years. So yeah, three years, my, uh, anyway, so I've been a driver for three years. I've had so many different, so many different experiences and stories that I can only remember sometimes the more recent ones, but there's a lot of stories and experiences that I wrote down to begin with. So in recent time, not in recent time, I've exchanged details with so many different people from so many different walks of life by, yeah. way, of, <laughs> by way of what they do, what they're doing, and how we can potentially partner up and, and work on projects and things of that nature. Or, um, again, obviously, with what they do, I have an interest in maybe pushing or pursuing something like this book, for example, and I might come across a publisher and I might explain to them my concept, the idea, et cetera, et cetera, how I want to release the book. And they will break down the whole process of um, how you write a book, um, how you release a book, and obviously the whole marketing and the process behind it. Likewise, I might speak with someone who's a digital, who works in digital marketing, and then they may tell me, actually, I had no idea about this profession to begin with, but I started at entry level. And these are the things that I did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I somehow, not somehow, but then I, I rose up the, um, um, I, I became a supervisor and now I manage obviously a group of people. And they'll tell me, these are the things that I think you should do as to implementing digital marketing to what you ultimately want to do. So for me, I found it like incredibly enlightening. The amount of networking yeah. done and enlightening conversations I've had, I mean, it's been beneficial. Again, it's the reason why I've actually decided, well, one of the many reasons why I decided to write this book, because A, obviously, I'm telling my story in being at one point in my life to get into another point in my life. Um, but I just think there's really exciting and um, learning points, insights, that I think everybody can take from the book. Um, so I'm assuming, so you've had, so we're 2020, 2015, stroke 16, you've got your license. Yeah. Um, so from year one, two, three, and four, like, how would you, would you say any, would you say your perception changed? So like yeah. I would say, for example, from the very, very beginning of my time being a driver up until let's say year two, I was still quite enthused, but very enthused in the beginning. And obviously that waned. I'm at the point now where I'm going to start probably at the back end of the year before the book comes out, I think. And okay, of course I might be enthused to start up again because I haven't drove in a while, but mm. I've been, there's been some form of tainted experience by way of it being a very difficult graft. As you mentioned before, some of the taxes and things that are employed, obviously, um, in this business of being a driver, it makes it very, very difficult to get money. Because I think there are a number of um, myths out there as to drivers making like, incredible and bucket loads of money, whereas I just don't think that's true. It might yeah. depend on your circumstances as to whether you're renting a car or whether you own the car or whether you're doing it part-time and full-time. But I just think there are so many different facets to, to dissect. So, I mean, how have you found it year one, two, three, and four? Um, that's an interesting thing. I feel like at the start, it was first three months is trying to figure out what's my strategy going to be in terms of um, driving. Because at the time, I lived in Romford. And 
um, trying to understand why all the surges were obviously mainly in central London and that type of places. And then when I have to then cut my losses and say, you know what, I need to drive closer into town. As soon as I get there, I don't know if this experience to you as well, all them surges just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like I'm chasing the surge and this algorithm is mocking me because it's trying to get me to where people that where it's busy and then when I get there, the opportunity to make more money so I don't have to be out on the roads longer it just disappears. But yeah, I found that frustrating at the start because I was in Rumford and it just wasn't, just wasn't busy then. The only time it was mainly busy was during the weekends. So, um, but then eventually I started to understand, okay, when to work, when not to work, um, when to just drive straight to maybe closer to Ilford or get to Stratford and then start from there. And then obviously my day would then, my day would just kick on from there. And yeah, it took me about three months to find the strategy and I found my strategy and I was like, okay, cool. This is fine. This is what I can roughly make with this amount of effort. This is before they put in the restriction of having to work uh, 10 on-trip hours. Yeah. So we, we now had people that were able to just work continuously, like sleeping in their cars and so on and so forth. But um, even before that restriction, I think um, I was roughly doing it roughly about sort of 10 on-trip hours anyway, which um, if you kind of equate that to actually hours outside of your house could be roughly about 12 hours um so from that point year one is like okay this is fine it's allowed me to do what i needed to do and then at the point where it started getting frustrating is because i didn't i I used the term i became a slave to the car in essence because the, the primary reason i decided to do this in the first place wasn't working out anymore again pretty much like the first time i quit my job um, okay, um, the creative aspect of my of my work stopped mainly because of Uber. So I'm out 12 hours a day to be able to make enough money to cover all my expenses and to save money as well. And then I'm realizing, okay, I'm not writing anything anymore. I'm not, my creative edge has gone. Okay, and where is the energy to now find talks? Where is the energy to market? All of these things just fell by the wayside. and and the funny thing is, I, I started in summer 2016, and then in February, the next year, 2017, was actually my biggest launch um, of all time in terms of having my book launched at the Hackney Empire. So I'll, I'm working towards this great high. So like that venue is not, it's not cheap. It costs 10 grand to rent out the venue. And then I, I was very ambitious to what I wanted to do there in terms of filling that venue and, and launching this book in a grand way. So I was like, okay, I needed to be in the car, finish the book now and earn this money to be able to have this launch. So the launch has happened now and it was supposed to be my ticket to stopping Uber. There was supposed to be all of these opportunities. I've gone to this great high. It's been a great success. People enjoyed it. I, I managed to get several hundred people in there. Do you know what I mean? I, I more than broke even on that. And, and I was happy and I was like, okay, so what happens now? It felt like I was waiting for manna from heaven to fall. Um, in terms of I was able to achieve this thing, but then what's the follow-up? And then the next thing I knew, I was back in the car. And I'm thinking, it's going to come at some point. And then that's when I started losing my edge in regards to creativity. And, and it, it felt like a chore being in the car after having this high of re- reaching in something that I wanted to achieve. And not 
to say that I'm coming back down to, to Uber or anything like that because I value, I've done, I, I can tell you how many different jobs that I've done in this lifetime, you know, right from cleaner to Uber to security, you name it, I've done it. I respect every grind out there for people that need to do what they need to do. But in terms of for my personal ambition, I wanted, wanted more and this wasn't supposed to be a long-term plan. But I, I wasn't a year into Uber anyway. So I thought, okay, let me just get to a year, see where I am. But then, like I said, I became a slave to the car. It was more about trying to get the money in now. And I lost the edge for everything else. So it just became very, very frustrating. And so when I got to the point of about 18 months, I, I was tired. I was tired, but I had, to, I had to stick through it until I got another job. And that's, and that's, how, the, that's how the story kind of panned out in regards to the shift from optimism to, okay, finding out what I need to do with it achieving what I needed to achieve with it and then feeling like, okay, my time for this is limited. And then it now became something that just felt like a chore. Um, and I just, I wasn't enjoying doing it as much anymore. And my spirit will only be lifted depending on the type of passengers that, that I have on that particular day. And if I have a good day um, and it's a day where I get airport runs, it's a day full of surges it kind of lifts your spirits a little bit because you're obviously you're earning more money on that particular day. But what used to kill me as an author was being at my house, maybe one job in three hours, stuck in the car and just left with your mind, just thinking, okay, I need to drive somewhere else. You drive somewhere else. There's no one to pick up. Or then you finally pick somebody up and he's only going 0.6 miles down the road. So all of these things just added to the frustrations all the time. Bro, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself because I, I mean, I've experienced all those things. I mean, I put I put these things in the book actually, but the reason why I'm doing these podcasts is because I want other people to share these experiences as well. Because again, I think people think that Uber drivers or drivers just in general on these platforms are just rake. Not everybody, but some people believe that people are just raking in the money when that's not the case. And what I found find very interesting is that we probably share a very very similar experience in that. Also, you wrote several books at this point but you were transitioning from a point of, okay, I've come out of employment and I'm going to become a driver and I want to get to the point where I've completed this book and then I can actually stop driving. And it's funny because you're ahead of me in that respect. And I don't want to say, well, if I'm honest, I'm kind of hoping for the same thing, actually, that when this book comes out, this chapter of me being a driver ends and then I go on to pursue other things because I didn't actually become a driver because I wanted to, be, because I wanted to write a book. This yeah. was a byproduct of what... Of being a driver, yeah. Yeah, it was a byproduct. So I knew I probably wanted to write at some stage, and I've got so many different um, journals based on my traveling experiences and stuff like that, and that will follow up in, in terms of being my second book. But this was a byproduct, and I was pursuing other things. And not to say those things weren't working out, but this book then became my primary focus in that I felt, actually, if I get this right, I can get everything else right. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely share um, the sentiment as you say but I found it very frustrating in that I would be working all those hours and then I wouldn't have time or the energy to be creative and write when I got home and then Barcelona became my safe haven in that um, when, I, when I finally did move to Barcelona I would do all this work and I would be understanding and sympathetic to myself, to myself that I wasn't going to get much work done whilst I was in London but when I got to Barcelona for three, four weeks I had the opportunity mm. to do as much writing as possible, sit down. I lived, I could walk to the beach like within five minutes, within my recent place. I've just moved out of there, but my recent place, I could walk to the beach in five minutes. 
people will go out, people will go to work in the morning in terms of my housemates, and I'll be at home, I'll be writing, 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 writing. Then I'll go see some friends for lunch, come home, go to the beach, do more writing, and things of that nature, and I'll slowly build up what would be the book and building actually other projects. So I'm in a fantastic, like, I'm in a real fantastic place at this moment in time. But there were times during the process where it was really frustrating. And, I, and I've heard laughs and jokes on the internet and on the gram and things of that nature as to um, drivers telling their story as to what they want to do, equating them to like SoundCloud rappers, no disrespect to any SoundCloud rappers, or yeah. all people were to using those, um, those platforms. So I use that platform as well as for podcasts and things of that nature. But just kind of equating, to them, equating them to people who have like pipe dreams. And there's nothing wrong with having dreams. Or, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having dreams. But obviously, we do understand we live in a world where a lot of people have, have aspirations and ambitions. But unfortunately, not everybody is able to fulfill them due to several different circumstances. Um, yeah. yeah, so it can be really, really difficult. So I definitely understand um, what you're talking about. And hopefully, the people at home, the people listening, understand that as well. I'm glad you mentioned the time in between driving. So, like... There's a lot of time sometimes in between driving. How did you feel that time? Um, a lot of the times frustrated. And I thought to myself, um, I might use that opportunity to, to learn something new, um, especially when it's just quiet. So I used to listen to a lot of podcasts or, yeah. webs um, or YouTube videos, for instance, um, stuff to help me progress. Um, and then obviously if I had any ideas down, I'll just either write them down or more times I'll probably use my um, voice recorder on my phone to, to write those ideas down. Just trying to utilize some of the time that I felt frustrated. Um, and obviously you're in control of, of yourself. So sometimes I can just say, you know what, I'm done with this. And I'll just, and I'll just, I'll just come back home. And what I used to find is once I leave my house, I'll turn my app on and i'll get a job from home that's why I, I, I like to start that way um and then i'll and i'll leave and then i'll go to the job and hope hoping that okay from that first job it's continuous it's pinging already so you, you kind of know the days after like two or three jobs sometimes you kind of know okay, it's going to be a good day today because before you drop this person off you've already got a job and then it goes on like that but then the days when it doesn't happen um you drop that person off they're only going to the station so I'm still close within 10 minutes or 15 minutes of, of where I live. And you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You go to another spot, but you're still close to your house. And I've had days where I would just say, you know what? I'll just come back home. Um, sometimes that come back home is to, you know what, to start maybe in the evening. Or if that was the evening start, then it's like, you know what? I'll just try again tomorrow. And then you kind of, whatever your target is for that week, you just say, you know what, let me just, re you just end up reducing it by 150 or 200 <laughs> based on whatever you, whatever you anticipated you was going to make. And then the days then you were very busy and it was surging, you try and always make up for what you've already missed or let's just say it's at the start of the week or you start of your shift or whatever. You say, you know what, tomorrow could potentially be a very bad day. So if I can make half of what I'm anticipating I'm going to make tomorrow and tomorrow's a bad day, then... I don't need to be on the roads that much. So you just played all these games with yourself. Do you know what I mean? Just trying to figure out how to cheat the system or just how to, to better utilize your time on the roads. But in terms of being frustrated, if I knew that I couldn't afford to come home because of annoyance, then I will make sure that I drive way 
way outside where I live. So I have no choice because it doesn't make sense to drive so far and then all of a sudden you're frustrated and you have to come home. So I, that frustration will have to continue wherever that place was, whether that's going all the way to King's Cross, going all the way to, to central London and you're starting the day from there. So even if it's a slow day, it's a, at least it's a slow day of at least coming home with something because I've had many of those days where I've just been frustrated and I'll just come home because of just that time. You know, the job is not as bad when, when you're busy and you're actually doing It's just the moments of not being busy and that variable of not meeting your daily targets, which can equate to not meeting your weekly targets and so on and so forth. So you're now not writing your book. You're not speaking as much and you're not earning as much. It's like, why the hell am I doing this? You know? Cool. I'm going to combine these two questions. Um, did you find your social life and your health changed by way of being a driver? Yes. Social life became non-existent um, at points because I just needed to work. And even, to be honest, I wasn't the type of person because I had my, I had my, my daughter um, at 24. So, and I moved to Rumford at that period. So I left Hackney. So all my friends were still in Hackney. So from that point onwards anyway, I felt like my life had changed. And so the whole going out thing became different for me. Um, and I, and I liked it like that, to be honest with you. And I liked being able to just go out for meaningful occasions. So it's like, I'll make time for the friend's birthdays and things like that. Whereas the random, oh, let's just, we're just going out. Like it got to the point where they just even stopped calling me. And, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really mind that per se. But then when I obviously got into Uber, um, that just exemplified even more. So it was just like, yeah, I need to, I need to work. I need to work, I need to work, I need to work, I need to work. Unless it's something very, very important, then I would make time to make sure that I go to that. And then health-wise, my back, <laughs> uh, my back, even though I tried to take as many breaks as possible, I felt like it was affecting my back. Those different points where my back was really hurting. And I feel like my current injury now, I, I would have to put it down to driving. It's, um, I've got plantar fasciitis, which is heel pains um on my on my right foot so this is where my my foot was always be resting against obviously the pedals uh, the accelerator but my heel would always be at the bottom of the car so driving for so long um i started getting these sharp pains on my on my heel and then it started to progress over a long period of time i went to the doctors they told me to do all of these exercises and so on and so forth didn't really work for me and then it started affecting football for instance I play football every Sundays and it's like it now became painful to play football and then it was down to driving and so that pain continued so for instance I wake up to any period where I've rested my leg for a long period of time so my first step after waking up I felt like I was always in pain and then when I get in the car obviously you've, you've taken the weight off your leg and then every time I get out of the car for every three four hours it's like that sharp pain is, is still there which is why to today I'm still going through trying to figure out how to cure it because the next step is now electroshock therapy. So um, I'll have to put that down to driving as well. Cool, 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 cool. Um, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, me personally, I've got problems and issues with my knees and my health yeah. and <laughs> deteriorated as well. Um, just moving the conversation on just a little bit because I think you've been very insightful. All right, but I think I want to open up the conversation a lot more as to some of the, almost like the madness that can take place in the car as well. Go through some maybe awkward moments and maybe potentially altercations and drunken, disorderly interactions that you might have had in your car. 
Yes, actually, my first ever pickup was a drunk person. And I thought, is this what it's going to be? Is, it, is this what it's going to be like? Um, and luckily, she didn't throw up in the car. And it was quite weird because the friends left her in the car. In my head, I'm thinking, as, an, as a more experienced driver, I probably would have rejected that job. I was like, I need somebody to be in the car with her for just so many, so many different reasons in terms of safeguarding and all of these other type of things. But it's first, first day, first job, excited, cool. Uh, you know, you're trying to be kind, you know, you look after her. So I stopped the car a few times, made sure she obviously needed to spit or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then just as we were getting there, she opened the window and then she vomited, but she vomited outside of the car. Um, all over the door and all of that type of stuff. So I literally had to, to go and wash the side of the car and all of that type of thing. So that was my first experience. But then when I look at the three years that I've done it, I, I wouldn't say that I have, I've had many bad occurrences in terms of nobody's actually vomited in the car, thankfully. Lucky. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I'm always watching people and I'm like, listen, I can't, I can't be dealing with this valet business tonight. I just... I just I've got my target. Please don't ruin this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so luckily that hasn't happened. But in terms of dealing with drunk people themselves, yeah, I've had a, a few altercations with um, people who have obviously had too much to drink. I had this guy who wanted to fight me. Um, but I had to sort of calm him down and say, listen, mate, like you're home now. All I asked you to do was make sure you don't disrespect the car you know, in terms of how you're handling all the stuff in the back of the car. And he couldn't really understand that. And he just started giving it the large. And then these other two students, I picked them up. Um, now, before I actually picked them up, they were standing on a double red on the main road in King's Cross. So I've driven past them because King's Cross is very busy. You can't stop on that road. So I told them you need to go to a side road. Um, and then I'm going to have to, double round because it's a one-way system and then I'll and I'll pick you up from in front of the hotel where it's safe to pick passengers up um and so I've, I've gone all the way around now I was obviously taking a little bit of time about two or three minutes because of traffic and then I get I get to them and then they get in the car and then they start shouting what the hell's wrong with you why didn't you just stop why we could have just easily jumped in I'm like listen I'm not about to get 60 pound 70 pound ticket all right for and I clicked the start of the journey and it was literally just down the road for what's going to be a five pound job, mate. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So, and this is a safer place to pick people up anyway. They kept shouting and shouting and shouting. I'm like, listen, with all due respect, I'm going to have to ask you to leave if you continue swearing at me and so on and so forth. I can clearly see that they've had a few to drink, but not to the point of being drunk. They're fully in control of themselves at this point. And they didn't stop. So I got annoyed. I said, you know what? Please come out of my car. Um, and eventually they came out swearing and effing and blinding, so on and so forth. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up. I'm going to knock you out, all of these type of things. So they've come out of the car now. And I could easily go straight, but then the side road that they went on, I, um, I just decided to just play, to play with them. I'm thinking, okay, you guys, are <laughs> you guys have been talking so much. Right, and I've been doing Mr. Nice. So I pulled up on the road that they were turning into and then I opened my door as to say I'm going to do something to them, basically. And the way they just started running, 
So I closed my door and I just started laughing. I'm like, you guys are so stupid. You think I'm going to lose my license and start getting in trouble with the police because of you two? I just closed my door and I just drove off. But the fact that they ran off, I just needed to prove to them that you're just you're just all talk, you know. And that was that was just um, three of the most memorable moments in terms of dealing with people that have had a bit to drink in my car. Cool, that is that is hilarious because I've definitely had those sort of moments where I've wanted to get out, and then you have to kind of like second guess or just yourself as to the situation because you've mm-hmm. got. I mean, like yourself, actually, you were writing a book and you were um, leading up into this situation, and likewise, mm-hmm. I'm doing the same. And I just sit there and think to myself, do I really want to get myself in trouble over this little silly altercation? But I've had to definitely pull people's cards as to is this mm-hmm. what you really want, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they'll back off. Yeah, um, it's good to know that. So, well, it's good to know. That. Hey, <laughs> no, it's good to know that, and it, and it's quite funny in hindsight as well. Um, just on that subject, have you um, have you overheard any funny conversations? I mean, I've heard people really. I'm going to say, yeah, uh, about friends <laughs> and things. Like that. Oh yeah, I've I've almost got mad, like mad to myself. Yeah, hundred percent. So many different conversations, um, and the person that's talking is never aware that they're in. A cab, but the person that they're talking to is kind of like nudging them. Is like, are you sure you want to continue this conversation in the cab? Obviously, the driver's there; he can hear it and stuff like that. And then sometimes they'll just get you involved as well, and then they're trying to ask you your opinions. Oh, mate, do you know what I mean? It's like, like the bird and all of these type of stuff. Like, I'm just tired of her mum being in the house, mate. (laughs) And just so many different conversations. Um, People cheating on each other, people hating their jobs, people tired of their families. People tired of their siblings, like you said, a lot of um, gossiping, a lot of bitching about individuals, type of thing. And uh, yeah, so it's just sometimes when they get you involved, sometimes I just smile and just say, you know what, it is what it is, you know, it is what it is, you know, when I don't really want to get into deep within that particular type of conversation. But yeah, there's definitely been many periods of overhearing interesting conversations. Um, and like I remember one lady, I think she got married and then she was talking to her friend because her husband said the wrong name on the altar. Um, yeah, so just hearing that. So at that period, obviously, I'm planning, I'm getting ready to get married. So this is um, sort of last year, sort of my last two, three months of Uber because after I got married, that's when I, that's when I stopped driving. And then I remember the conversation because I became a lot more interested in it because I'm getting ready to say my vows in a couple of months' time. So any mistakes, any any nuggets here, like I'm, I'm fully listening to make sure that you don't make those mistakes, make sure you're fully concentrating. And so she was clearly not happy with that. So, yeah, there's been many, many different funny stories and funny situations where um, people have had some interesting conversations. Cool. And how do you rate your passengers? So, like, um, I don't want to take, take your thunder, but, like, to begin with, I didn't really care or pay too much mind to it. So, like, the, mo- the moment the, the ride finishes, boom, I'm just pressing, like... Yeah, it's, I'm an automatic five guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you have to do something for me to now change that habit. Thank like, you. you must be a bad passenger for me to now say two-star attitude and all of the rest. Because automatically, I'm just like, okay, when's the next job? Five, five, five. Whether you're quiet or not, whether you conversated or not, um, all of these type of... Because passengers themselves... They care about their rating. They're like, oh, oh my God, he's going to rate us so badly because you're talking too much and all of these things. Or like, oh my God, my friend's had a bit too much to drink. Please 
this is my Uber account. Like, don't don't rate me badly and all of these type of things. And I'm like, I'm not really one of those drivers that <laughs> that are actually paying attention to everything. Or oh my god, you didn't conversate with me, or like your your high wasn't wasn't sincere enough or anything like that. Like, I'm not I'm not that guy. Like, unless you were actually rude to me or disrespectful, then that's how I would change the thing. But automatically, everyone's a five star. Yeah, that was that was essentially my way as well. It took for a number of things to happen. Yeah, I started thinking, you know what? If someone disrespects me, I'm mm-hmm. gonna actually make the time to actually do this rain. Otherwise, I really couldn't care less. I was always next yeah. job, next job, next job, next job. Um, but yeah, because I'd, I'd be speaking with people, and a lot of people tell me, like, hey, as you said, like, oh my, my rating's bad. Um, oh no, sorry, they were speaking to their friends. Oh, don't do that because don't want my rating to get bad. Or some people will have conversation with me and say and ask me, why have I got a bad rating? And I would say, mm. like, from my experience, I couldn't care less um, as to <laughs> thinking about giving someone a rating. But you would have to do something for me to actually go out of my way to, to give you a bad rating. So if you came in my car, after a period of time, if you just came in my car and um, I, I expect people to greet me, hi, hello, and then you can just mm-hmm. fall back in and do what you want. Not fast. Yeah. If someone didn't really say hello, or if someone then started doing things which I, which I thought was disrespectful, um, then I would begin, obviously, or not begin, at the very end of the journey, I would maybe give you a four or a three, or if it was really bad, I'd give you a one. Um, yeah. yeah, but other than that, I didn't really pay too much mind. And, and I guess, obviously, from what you said as well, um, you were the same as well. Just kind of finishing up. Um, I, so in my whole journey as a driver, and I'm sure this is something that a lot of people, a lot of drivers have thought about because it's been a very contentious topic so anyone who i've done this interview with have kind of asked me not whether is the conversation going to go down this road but like are we going to have a conversation about this and i actually want to have a conversation with women as to how they approach getting in minicabs and taxis and things of that nature so my question to you and we can have a wider conversation is from like a flirtatious and attraction perspective what have your interaction interactions been like with women um yeah, it's just been super friendly with women and obviously just keeping it professional at all times. Um, yeah, you will have the women who are obviously a lot bolder that might obviously comment on on your looks, um, that might want to sit in the front and just want to have conversations. They'll say, oh, how come you're driving an Uber and blah, 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 blah. And I feel like one of the one occasions that I remember, I remember this lady, she was going to Tesco to buy a few drinks because she was about to sort of settle in and watch a film and um and she said oh do you mind doing a return trip and i'm like yeah that's fine um and so she got her drinks and then i took her back home and then she goes oh do you want to turn off the app um and come inside and i'm like yeah that can't happen <laughs> for, for many for many many reasons one um i'm in a relationship and two even if i wasn't um yeah that's this like I've read too many things on the news and it just doesn't make sense because no matter what it's going to be, it could be, um, it's just going to, I can see the headlines, the Uber driver does this regardless of whether it's the truth or not. So putting yourself in that situation where I was literally on the clock, I haven't met you at a club. I've met you in my car in, in what's supposed to be my professional setting. Um, and you could be cool. You can be nice, but, it's not, a, it's not a risk I'm willing to take. Um, and so, yeah, so that's uh, a situation that's happened. But then you just have people who um, are very flirtatious, 
um, we have a conversation, they want you to, to exchange your numbers and so on and so forth. So sometimes people are surprised that I don't ask for their numbers and stuff like that. But if we've had a nice conversation, and and that's just mainly because I was in a I was in a relationship, uh, and that was that. But yeah, it's and even with the whole women thing as well, it's like you're always kind of cautious um, because you've heard so many different allegations. Especially, if I never had a camera at all um, in my car, so I was always sort of careful around that as well. Yeah, so like for myself, I, I actually share your sentiments. I would find myself in, to begin with, loads of different situations where I was having conversations with women. And naturally, I think I don't think, I don't think there's a problem with that. I think when you're having a really good conversation, sometimes you don't want the conversation to end. And I was, I, I was saying yesterday, oh, I was chatting with, um, oh, I don't even want to say their names. Um, I'll say it anyway. I can, I can always bleep it out. I was chatting with... Okay. Cool, I was chatting with them. And I was saying that... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I was talking, and I was saying that you ha you have conversation with people. No, that's it. You have conversation with people, and you don't want the conversation to end. And we live, let's say, I'm um, doing air quotes, like in a society where men generally approach the women. So you come to the yeah. conversation, and the women will probably be expecting you to like um, make an advance as to asking for the numbers. Want to continue the conversation? And I'm not saying this yeah. happens every single time. I'm talking by way of. The, the scenes, let's say the scenes being set for the conversation to then happen outside of the car or in your spare time. But that's not a move that I would make because I, A, because obviously, as you said, obviously you don't want to be a headline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also there's a lot on the line. There's your financial um, situation on the line as well. So you wouldn't necessarily want to put that at stake too. Um, so I've definitely put a number of situations. Um, have you got any advice for yeah. anyone who is currently a driver and are there any myths that you want to dispel? Yeah, um, I guess the myths to dispel is how much you could earn, basically. Um, is understanding the numbers, understanding um, getting an accountant is a key thing or if you can do the numbers yourself. Make sure you understand what your numbers are in terms of at what point do you start earning for yourself and then what are you putting away from tax type of thing because some of the things when it comes to tax is not some of the things that you're thinking about straight away because you're only thinking about after you've paid all your outgoings, this is what I've earned. Whereas in the case, it's not always like that. So make sure your numbers make sense, um, especially how London is now. You definitely need to concentrate on the numbers because even at the point where I started in 2016, some of the drivers that I'll meet at a petrol station will be telling me, oh my God, Uber's gone down. We were making so much money last year and the year before type of thing. People are telling me that obviously the busiest day is New Year's Eve. Um, he made six, seven hundred pounds. That, do you know what I mean? And, it was, and obviously that year that we did it, it's like, oh, people are making roughly about three, four hundred pounds, all of these type of things. So it's like, wow. And I'm like, so at 2016, when I started, um, understanding the numbers was key and I didn't sort of think about that I was like okay this is how much I needed to earn and that's all that was important to me but you're now an adult you're a professional you need to you need to look at all aspects of your responsibility really and so yeah um, that's one of the advices that I'll give is make sure that your numbers make sense and um, in terms of um, because um, we didn't even talk about black cab drivers and how the interactions that you had with them as well. Another, they are another people that might be obstacles to you. I've had many different confrontations with black cab drivers on the roads. Um, I tried to not bite, but some of them 
will do things that will make you feel like, you know what, let's play this game. It's a one-way road. This road will only fit one of us. And let's see, let's see who... Let's see who's willing, because my mine's a twelfth plate. That looks like one of them new electric, them new, <laughs> them, them new ones, bro. And I know that costs about fifty bags, bro. So let's go. I'm ready for this. Do you know what I mean? Not, I've been to Nigeria. I've seen how my dad drives. Where we don't care about light, we only have our horn. Only one space is whose heart can take it the most. I'm ready. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so things like that so um but yeah just be aware of the black cab drivers because obviously they've got a vendetta against anyone that's even driving a prius regardless of whether they're uber or a mini cab driver or not because the assumption is that you're that you are uh they're trying to private hire so that's what i would say cool and would you recommend a family or friend to become a driver from your experience um from the point where i started yes i did I, I, one of my friends he's doing it now because of my um, because of my recommendation at the time, I felt like it was okay. I was making money at the time. It wasn't too bad. Those, those were the days where my spirits were up, but I still was, I was honest with him in terms of, um, um, the downfalls as well. Cause people always tell you all oh, the positive, the positive sides of it, but they never ever talk about the negative, um, some of the negative aspects to it as well. So, um, at this point in time, will I recommend it? mainly because of all the restrictions and all the taxes that are in place and i, I don't think i would cool it's funny i got i've got i've got to think because I've, I've got to make a decision whether i'm going to renew my private hire license i've got to do i've got to make that decision very soon and my last question is what is next for you is there anything that you want to plug or make the listeners aware of um so right now i'm currently working on my fourth book I um I've started a podcast in regards to it's a story podcast. Um, Amazing podcast, um, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, it's just a it's just a it's a platform for me to to share some of my stories in audio form and to share some of my life experiences, but in a creative way. So using stories to um, and analogies and monologues to be able to tell those stories. For instance, fatherhood. I'm doing a series on there um, called writing a novel in six months. So if anybody wants to write a novel, I'm going through my process, which is a 25-week process of, of writing a novel. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, yeah, just sharing, sharing um, my journey along the way, and hopefully people can be inspired by that. Cool. Um, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you obviously sharing your experiences with myself and the listeners as well. Um, much appreciated, and obviously I'll shout you when this is out. No worries, man. Appreciate it, bro. Hi, Andrew. My journey is available for pre-order via my website, andrewmensahjr.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-M-E-N-S-A-H-J-R.com. And for more content, follow me on IG and Twitter at andrewmensahjr. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-M-E-N-S-A-H-J-R. Subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Andrew Mensah Jr. Same spelling. Thank you.